Hi, I'm Chuck Stedman. And I'm Teresa Stedman. And you're listening to the Steadfast Podcast. In the Bible, we're taught, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. This podcast is about being steadfast and immovable, even when everything around you is slipping, shifting, and changing. And nowadays, that happens a lot. But that's okay, because we know if you push forward, you can make it through. So just hang on. Because here Here we we go. go. My name is Teresa Stedman, and you're listening to the Steadfast Podcast. Joining me today is April Epps. Thank you so much for being here, April. Um, I really appreciate it, and I know that the time we spend in our interview will be likewise beneficial for our audience. April was raised in Lake Arrowhead, California. Her family consisted of her mom, five sisters, and one brother. She graduated from Ricks College in Idaho and moved to Arizona in 1995. Shortly after her arrival in Arizona, she met Brian while working at the yogurt shop. Brian had been home from his mission in Italy for only a few weeks, but he won April over with a long-stemmed pink rose, speaking some Italian, and a pretty good pickup line. April and Brian have been married for 24 years and have four wonderful children. April loves books. If you live in Arizona and are wondering where you recognize April from, it's most likely the Gilbert Deseret Bookstore, where she currently works. April also loves music and musicals, and she especially loves the outdoors. At the beginning of this year, I had the opportunity to attend a women's conference in Arizona where April was the keynote speaker. The experience April shared at that conference and the journey that experience has taken her on was inspiring. It was also terribly tragic. Adversity, trials, and challenges are part of this mortal existence, and everyone listening today has experienced those parts of mortality. However, the death of a loved one is a challenge we seem least prepared to deal with, especially when it is the death of our child. That was April's trial. But that's not the only thing April shared that morning. That really wasn't the purpose of her presentation. What she learned, how she grew, and how she changed was her purpose that morning. I walked away from that conference filled with peace and filled with an assurance that life's challenges don't have to defeat us. We don't have to be a victim. We can be victorious. April, I remember you telling us that day, the day that Sam died is the day your life exploded. Can you go back to that day and take us on the journey of healing and hope? Um, yeah, so September 2nd, 2014, um, my son, who was 11 at the time, um, there was, it had started off like a normal day. My kids had gone to school. Um, they came home. We had dinner. Um, we started doing chores. And there was um, a fight, Sammy got the dishes, and um, he didn't want them. He doesn't, he didn't like to touch the food, the leftover food. And uh, anyways, and so he got angry, and, um, and I was, at the time I was serving in the Yeoman's 
um, presidency. And um, so I had told one of the girls that I would meet her a little bit early. And so right about six o'clock, so Sammy was very upset, he was very angry. And um, right about six, I went into my room and I was telling him that I was sorry, you know, he was very mad. He was mad at his dad because his dad had popped him in the mouth. And um, so I was talking to him and I was telling him, you know, can't talk disrespectful to your dad, like just a lot of things that now looking back was not help, helpful at all. Um, anyway, so I left to go and meet with this girl and um, I pulled into the parking lot and my husband, who is a police officer, um, he called me and he said, you have to come home right now. Sam, Sammy just shot himself. And I was like, what? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, I literally had just left. And it was only three minutes to our house from the, to the church and then three minutes back. And my life changed in a matter of six minutes. I, um, there were, our street was blocked off and there were police officers everywhere and the fire department was there. And I ran into my house and there was a police officer and he's like, you can't go in there. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rule follower, so mm -hmm. I, but that was the first time that I had said, that's my son and you're not going to tell me what to do. So they were doing CPR and I got on my knees and I prayed that God would save my son, that he would, you, you kind of go into bargaining. And I was like, you can take me instead. I anything lived my life, he's 11, and uh, so we, he just, uh, he, the ambulance came and the, there was one paramedic and he was so good, like he said, are you the mom? And I said, yeah, and he let me put the heart rate monitor on Sammy's finger and I was holding on to his hand and I kept praying and I said, please God, don't take my son. And uh, I asked the paramedics if I could go in the helicopter with him. And they said, no. And so I don't know how my bishop had gotten there, but my bishop showed up. And uh, he, drove, he started driving us to the hospital. And uh, I remember as I, as I passed Post and View, uh, I felt really alone. My husband was calling his family and I don't, I didn't have anybody to call. And uh, I just kept praying and asking Heavenly Father to, to save him. And I knew, 
firearm accident and not have repercussions. I, I know that there is consequences. Um, but I also know that God can create miracles and he can perform miracles. And so that's what I was hoping. And as we passed post in Butte, I felt this incredible warmth. And I thought, okay. I said, let me see it. And, uh, you know, there's lots more to the story, but um, we got sent to the wrong hospital and then we ended up at the right one. And uh, that doctor came in and she said, I couldn't save your son, and uh, so I have three other kids, and my older son told the doctor, he was like, get back in there and save my brother, and it, it just wasn't meant to be, and uh, I left there. physically walking, but I, I was dead. I, mm -hmm. I was broken. I was shattered beyond belief. I knew that, I knew that my life would never be the same ever again. And, and so we left and, uh, And so we went to my husband's cousin's house because our house was still technically considered a crime scene. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting because so after about um, 10 days, uh, so let me backtrack for a second. So for me, I knew I wanted to help my kids. Like my, I knew that they just had lost, they had lost the littlest. They had lost the person that, they were all there at his birth. All of those things, like all of the, all of that would no longer happen for them. Like It wasn't just your tragedy. Yeah, and I knew that my kids were going to need help. My husband, through his work, had um, a counseling provided, and so I remember that I went, or we called the lady, and this was only after 10 days. Wow, I don't even know how you can even get to that point. Well, I didn't know what to do. It is one of the most helpless, you have no control, you have no... I had no idea what to do. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. My kids weren't sleeping. Mm -hmm. My kids were suffering. My husband was suffering. And you want things to be normal. When can we wake up? I yeah, like when, I when kept this I kept pinching myself, saying, "This has got to be the worst nightmare." Yeah. Like I'm ready to wake up. Anytime you want me to wake mm -hmm. up, I'm ready. Like I was ready. So we went to the therapist and... This is the one that work provided. Yeah, so mm -hmm. my mm -hmm. husband's work provided and um, 
so all five of us are sitting on the couch and my husband was only there because I had told him that that's what we were doing. My oldest sticks her head in the sand and doesn't like to deal with emotion, so she was doing that. My second was angry and my son just, he was also, like he just was not feeling it either. And uh, so we went to the therapist and we left. Like we sat there for an hour and the lady just was not helpful. Mm. She tried, she tried to be. Mm -hmm. And my son, um, he said, if you're gonna force me to go to therapy, I will not go to that one. And I thought, oh, where do we go? Yeah, okay. Yeah. And uh, so my girlfriend who had gone to therapy with one of her friends, she said, April, I have a friend that did therapy. And so I called her up and I set up an appointment with us and stuff. And, and my son left that and he said, Mom, if you're going to force me to go to therapy, I will only talk to her. And it was such a different, she was willing to meet them where they were at. Like she didn't try and be like, well, you shouldn't be yeah. sad and you shouldn't be mad. Like she met all of us where we were at and where we were in our grief. Because people grieve differently. Everybody grieves differently. And... So for me, I just, I was just trying to help. I didn't, I didn't have any clue what I was doing. I had no idea how to deal with this because when your world explodes, and it's not just the death of a child, it's divorce, it's unemployment, it's, um, it, it comes in so many different forms. Mm -hmm. Like when you're, world explodes it comes in many different things and I remember my therapist saying to me that when your house explodes you have to go through and pick up each piece and say is this something I still want in my life is this something I still want in my life um, that's a process yeah because the thing with grief for me is I wasn't just grieving over the loss of this really precious soul that I had co-created with God to bring into the world. But I was grieving my life as it was. I was grieving, you know, there's a few things in marriage where my husband and I, we wouldn't talk about them because it caused bigger fights. Mm -hmm. You just let it go. Yeah, and so that was all hidden underneath the rug because we didn't, we didn't talk about that. And my childhood trauma, like, the abuse from being a child, like, it all came to the surface. So when my house exploded, it wasn't just my grief. It was my whole world Everything. had fallen apart. Everything that had been put in its little box. Yeah. That broke open, yeah. too. And, and it was all there. Exactly. And so going to therapy was not... I mean, I had a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 14-year-old. Uh -huh. And all hard ages, all yeah. super hard. Yeah. And like high school's hard enough, let alone right. losing right. 
a little brother. Mm -hmm. And and wondering how that's going to impact our family now. Are we going to stay together? Yeah. Yeah. Is this going to keep going? Well, and that's the thing when it comes to grief is most marriages, when you lose a child, they get divorced. Right. That, that's mm -hmm. just a statistic. Um, and most children of who lose a, a sibling get into alcohol mm -hmm. or drugs right. because they're trying to cope with the uncopable. Right. And so for me, finding Andrea was a gift from God. And I knew that he had taken our family and he had put us in front of this woman who I knew would help our family. And it was different. Like my husband, um, like I said, is an officer. He mm -hmm. didn't think that he needed counseling. Mm -hmm. My kids and I started about November. Um, so it had been going regularly. about three months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, but my husband, he wouldn't go. And that frustrated me because not only as a police officer do you see awful things, mm -hmm. but he was the one at home when Sammy died. He was the one that called the police. He was the one that was doing CPR on our son. Like he was the one that yeah. was first. He was the first responder. Yeah. yeah. And so I remember telling my therapist, I said, I, I want my husband to go to therapy. And she said, then you set that boundary. And I went up to my husband and that was probably one of the hardest conversations we've ever had. As I looked at him and I said, you either choose to go to therapy or I'll make other choices. And he said, what does that mean? You're going to get divorced? Wow. And I said, yeah, maybe. Mm -hmm. If that's what if it comes to. Yeah. And he started to go to therapy and... Willingly, happily? Uh, oh, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, in fact, the, um, my therapist told me that he came in and uh, he made sure that he wore his gun oh, and he okay. sat there and he crossed his arms uh -huh. and he slumped back in the chair and he crossed his feet and he he was mad. Every, and he, every time. Oh, yeah. there was no question. He was questioning closed. what yeah. emotion he was feeling mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, but he's the one that I see the biggest change in. And do you think also because of his career, my husband's law enforcement as well, and they do deal with that every day. Yeah. Every day, that trauma. Yeah. And they, they're never the ones who go for help. Mm -mm. They just carry on. Yeah. And so, so was therapy really going all the way back through his career as well, not just that not that trauma there with Sammy, but even everything that he'd never really been able to resolve his, yeah. of his career. Yeah, I mean, he's still going and stuff like that mm -hmm. because it's not, he needs to go. Mm -hmm. It's It's been six years, it's only only been six years. Yeah. And so for him, he he still needs it. I mean, we all still go, It's mm -hmm. it's vitally important for our health. Mental health is so important. And um, so does your, when you started going to therapy then, all of you went together 
And is, did that continue on, or did you go with your family, and then you and your husband, or you by yourself, or was it just so kind of what your needs were? It was always individual. Like, okay. I never... Okay. Like, unless my kids needed to talk about uh -huh. something with me, mm -hmm. they got their own sessions. Okay. It was very... That's a sacred place. Yeah, that's a place so. of holiness where they need to be allowed to express their feelings and mm -hmm. the things that are going on in their heart. Mm -hmm. And that's not my place to... Right. Without worrying that they're going to hurt you. Yeah. Or, yeah. Like, yeah. I, they need yeah. to have that freedom. To be able and to so, say what they're feeling. Yeah. And so it's... We all go, but we all have our own individual own sessions. Uh -huh. Yeah. So... Yeah, um, but as I was going to therapy, um, I learned something that has changed my life. Um, I remember one of my sessions with Andrea is, um, so like I said, I grew up in a very abusive home. My mom was mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually abusive to me. Did you know that growing up? No, because that was what I knew. So that's, everybody's life was like that? Yeah, like from what I knew, everybody got hurt and everybody was yelled and screamed at and everybody was called names. I didn't realize that the way that I was raised was dysfunctional, mm -hmm. was abusive, was traumatic. Mm -hmm. It was all that I knew. Mm -hmm. And so I have thought negatively about myself my whole life. Hmm. I was 39 when Sammy died. And so for 39 years, I was continuing, I mean, this is going to age me, but the tapes that my mom had hmm. made uh -huh. for me of, I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I'm fat, I'm ugly, those kind of things, hmm. I still continued those yeah. on. Yeah. They and just kept playing. Yeah. Over it, and, over. and other people that had come into my life that also decided to say those Perpetual things to me. That. Yeah, mm -hmm. it became something that I then just kept that playing. That was your identity. Yeah. So was that pretty repressed though once you were married, but it all, that was all part of the explosion? Yeah, that was yeah. all part of the explosion. And so all of that came out. So you are completely vulnerable. Yeah. And so it's all there. Yeah. And I just think, like, I would say them to myself. I didn't say them around my kids because I didn't want them. Sure, to pick up on that. Yeah, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But it was, it was in mm -hmm. my mind it constantly. And I remember kind of a pivotal um, therapy session for me is I was sitting there and I was, I was telling my counselor every reason why I was unlovable mm -hmm. and unwanted that I didn't matter, that my voice didn't matter. And she just simply got up, and I'm still, you know, spewing all of these sure. things. Mm -hmm. And she got up, and she put a chair in front of me. And she looked at me, and she said, I want you to say everything you just said about yourself, and I want you to say it to Michaela. Your daughter. Or Brianna. Any one of your children. Yeah, any of my kids. And I said, I looked at her like she had three heads, and I mm -hmm. said, I, I will not do that. Right. And she looked at me and she said, then stop saying it to God's daughter. Mm. And for me, I was like, oh. Is that who I am? Yeah. yeah. 
Kevin Father and I have always had a relationship, like a phenomenal relationship. He's, I've known that God lives since I was very little. But I don't know why I hadn't correlated that I was hurting him. I just, I knew that I loved him. I knew that he loved me. But I didn't realize that the way that I spoke about myself was hurting him. Yeah, that's quite a connection. I think we don't make that. We, yeah. we often say, I'm a child of God, but we don't know exactly what we're saying. Yeah. Really. We, well, we, don't, we don't go deep into that. Yeah, even in the yeoman's theme where it says, we are daughters of our Heavenly Father who loves us and we love Him. I've repeated that right. for years, right? For years yeah. and years, and I, I never had a testimony of that. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I realized, so she, she told me, you know, about this Japanese scientist named Dr. Matsuri Yamoto, mm-hmm. who did a study of water. And the water, he would flash freeze it, and he'd either like write a word on the container, or he would speak words to the water. And Before it, would, it was, as he's flash, as he's okay. freezing it. As he's freezing mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And so she had me, that was my homework, is to go home and look up the difference, the differences in water molecules. And so I was like, well, I don't, why is that a big deal? Like, why is this important? And she said to me, she said, April, we're made up of 70% water. So the way that we speak about ourselves becomes part of who we are. Mm-hmm. And I had never thought about that. Mm-hmm. But there's, so I looked it up, and just the water molecules between beautiful and ugly, or I hate you, or I love you, they have shape. Like the things that are positive, they look like snowflakes. Like they look, they're beautiful. They're, they have this beautiful geometric shaping to them. They're, it's just amazing. Whereas the words, I hate you, you're dumb, you're stupid, those kind of things, they're just kind of like blurry. They're not, mm-hmm. there really isn't any kind of shape to them. You know, I remember you presenting that in January and and I wrote it down, and I came home, and I and I looked him up, mm-hmm. and I shared it with my daughters and my sons and my grandchildren. I said, "Look, we have to be so careful yeah. about what we say to ourselves and to others, sure. because we really are impacting yeah. that internal self." Yeah, very much so. It was that was absolutely fascinating. Yeah, uh, I thought so too. Mm-hmm. I just it's been something that I've learned <clears throat> is so important, and like with my kids went on their missions, I wrote them. Um, I'm a huge advocate now for uh-huh. like not talking ugly about yourself, not demeaning yourself, like talking about yourself in a in a positive and loving way. Which is hard to do. It is because the the fact one of the things that I really struggle with with the culture of our church is is we focus on the greatest commandments. And the first commandment is to love God. Mm-hmm. And then the second is to love our neighbor as ourselves. But we focus on loving our neighbor and not on the ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't love yourself if you, or love others if you don't love yourself. You only accept the love you think you deserve. 
Mm-hmm. And so for me, one of the things that Andrea, my counselor, said, had me start out with are I am's. This is, this is so powerful. Yeah. This I am statement. So it's just for me, um, I started off with five. So the five that I came up, and she helped me because. Was it hard? It was very hard because I already had planted these seeds of ugliness, you know. Mm-hmm. I had this garden of weeds, and now it was going to take work to pull the weeds and plant beautiful flowers. Mm-hmm. And you can only do that if you're willing to pull the weeds. And it's hard. But you kind of love those weeds. They've been with you for a long time. I don't think it's that you love them, but you're comfortable with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's right. what you know. Right. And so for me, I started off with five. I am God's daughter. I am smart. I am brave. I am enough. And I am loved. Mm-hmm. And when I said to her, I said, I don't really believe anything well, that I'm saying. So. And she said, you have to start somewhere. You yeah. just have to be willing to start planting seeds. Uh-huh. So it's, what would you do with those I am statements? So you write them. So I wrote them, what do you do? I wrote them on three by four cards and put them on my cabinets. I wrote them on my mirror with dry erase markers. Um, at night, after my prayers, I would write them or I would repeat them in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote them in text messages to myself. I I wrote in a journal any time like that negative, my therapist calls it the committee. Ah, mm -hmm. sure. You know, flared its ugly head. I just would write, and I would write and write and write and write. Even if it, I mean, if you were to look at my journal right now, there's pages that just say, I am enough, I am enough, I am enough. Yeah. Like, just one side and down the other because you have to fight it with truth. I am's are statements of light and power. One thing that Satan's really good at is reminding us of what the world deems is important. And instead, mm-hmm. of, yeah. instead of remembering what God feels about us. Mm-hmm. Because really the only two people that get to define you are you and God. Nobody else's opinion matters. That's very true. And so for me, this is something I'm still working on. I don't have it all figured out. Um, it's something that I am, that I have to fight every day. It's, it's very important to me. And um, when my kids left on their missions, because missionary work is so hard, mm-hmm. you know, not only are you away from your family, but you're getting rejected mm-hmm. a lot. And people, they know that you're there for a good reason, but everybody believes that it's not for them. Right. And so I, I made these little books for my kids um, of different IMs because I wanted them to know that even if other people didn't see that in them, their mom saw that in them. Uh-huh. And I just think, so as I was learning about IMs, one of the interesting things is I realized that that's how Christ always introduced himself. That's right. So Christ always introduced himself as, I am the resurrection and the light. 
I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Um, I am Jesus Christ. I am the light. Um, I am the Redeemer. I am the Savior of the world. Christ was, Christ is so good at standing in his own power and saying, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And I just think there's a really beautiful poem by Marianne Williamson about the importance of standing in our power, standing in our light and saying, this is who I am, this is me. And so I am's are statements of light and power. They stand for truth. It's a statement of, I am strong, I am good. And it's interesting because those are very important because you need to start talking kindly to yourself. Mm -hmm. It's very important though to have mercy and grace for yourself though as well. Yeah, I think that's a hard one. It is because as humans, and I don't understand why we do this, but as humans we think that it's not okay to make mistakes, that we have to tow this really perfect line. But God loves us humans. Like he loves humanness so much he sent his son to have a human experience. Mm -hmm. And so I just think for me, like I'll give you an example. So um, in state conference, uh, my daughter had already gone on her mission and stuff. And so it was just my son and I, and we were sitting there listening. And I had been asked to give the closing prayer. Okay. And uh, so, Everybody is standing up, and I was like, for some reason, I just thought <laughs> it was time for the closing prayer. Oh, it was like the mid, the mid song. Yeah, so it was the yeah, Okay. So I decided that it was time for. I guess I was finished with the meeting, <laughs> and I was oh, ready dear. to close the meeting. And so I got up, and my son even he he was like, Mom, are you going to do And I was like. Oh dear. Yeah, like, oh dear. bless his heart, his eyes were huge, what and he just dear. was like, what is my mom doing? <laughs> anyway, so I get up to the the third, fourth pew, and the stake president looks at me and he goes, <laughs> and I was like, oh no, like what? Like, yeah, what like, that? I'm giving a prayer. <laughs> Anyways, so don't he, send me back. Yeah, so he, and he tried to do it so kind and like, uh-huh. so, you know, right. nonchalant. So I go back and I sit down, and Ethan goes, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I was going to give the prayer, and he goes, well, that was the first 10. And I was Uh, like, oh, shoot. And the thing is, so me, four years ago, I would have just beaten, beaten myself up one side and down the other with shame, like, oh, you stupid, how could you have done that? And I sat there for the rest of that hour, saying to myself, it's okay, you made a mistake. It's gonna be funny eventually. Right now, you're embarrassed, and it's okay to be embarrassed. I'm sorry that happened, you're still good. And Heavenly Father's probably up there laughing his face Mm -hmm. off like, April, what you just did, you know? And I had to sit there and I had to give myself grace and compassion for the rest of that hour. And that's a really small example, but I just, for me, it's so important for us to give ourselves grace and compassion 
when we do make mistakes because that is part of our earthly experience. Mm -hmm. Learning to love yourself and saying I am's is so important and giving yourself grace and compassion is also so important. Right, and that's just such a concept that we just never give to ourselves. Yeah. You know, we extend it to everyone else right. because that's what we talk about yes. all the time. Mm -hmm. But you're so right, that triangle is three people. Yeah. God, your neighbor, and yourself. Yeah. And if you don't love your yourself, <clears throat> you can't love anybody else because you only accept the love you think you deserve. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, for me, I was talking to my counselor a couple months ago and I said to her, you know, I still haven't figured this out and I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm writing a book oh, called okay. The Power of I Am. Um, and I was telling her, I'm frustrated and this, you know, isn't, mm -hmm. I'm not doing any better at this. And she looked at me and she said, well, what if your whole purpose on this earth was to learn to love yourself. What if that was the whole entire reason why you came to this earth? And my kids as friends, when they come over, they say bad stuff about themselves, they are saying I am's. Uh -huh. My kids. That's their punishment. Oh yeah. It's you You'll will, give me 10 I am's. You will give me 10 <laughs> I am's. Most of the time I start out with five. Okay. But if they keep perpetuating uh -huh. it, if, if it keeps right. going, yeah, they get, yeah. I will No push-ups, you do 10 items. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they, because the way you speak about yourself is damaging who you are inside. When you talk ugly, when you say demeaning, hurtful, unkind, horrible things about yourself, not only are you hurting Heavenly Father's feelings, because He made you, made you. Mm -hmm. but you're also hurting yourself. Like, because you can't live to your potential. You can't live in your power because you're shrinking. Mm -hmm. And I just think, and so for me, I am statements. And, and so now I have probably, like I, I think about them all the time. You can Pinterest them, um, affirmations and stuff, because it is so important. So do you find if you're in a situation where you can feel those negative things coming back that you, you pull those I am statements yes. out and maybe there's some that are going to be unique to that particular situation Very much. and so you create as you need. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and like if I'm in a situation where I've done something that I'm embarrassed about or um, I, I feel like I haven't or I feel somehow lacking. In my mind, I sit there and I say to myself, you're okay, you're human, you're enough. I'm enough right now. I'm enough right here in this moment. I am good. I am good to my core. I am loved. I am lovable. I am brave. I'm courageous. And I sit there and I have to pull myself out because... It's like a windy tunnel. Like once, yeah. once the negative um, thoughts start, it's really hard to get me out. So I have to notice it immediately. Stop. That's not a truth. Okay. And then you say your I am statements. So the first thing that you do when you're fighting that ugliness is you say, stop. That's not a truth. 
that's a lie. And then I typically will say, you're not going to talk to God's daughter that way. You are good. You're brave. And I, and I say those, I am enough. I am loved. God is with me. I am allowed to learn and grow. I am allowed to make mistakes. I don't have to have it all figured out. It's okay for me to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And just things like that because those, you have to fight it. it. It's imperative. Because aren't those the things that we would say to our child? Yeah. If, if our child said that, started speaking unkindly about themselves, we would, we would forcefully say, stop, don't yeah. you dare talk like yeah. that about yourself. Exactly. And so that realization that we say that to ourselves is a whole different way of looking at. Yeah. And do you find because you've developed this, this ability to stop yourself and to, to look more kindly at yourself, do you feel that you're a more positive person about yourself? I, compared to six years ago, uh -huh. yes. Yeah. And because I give myself, I'm working on giving myself grace and compassion, I am able to give others more. grace yeah. and compassion. Oh, hey, it's okay. It's okay. You're allowed to make mistakes. You're just human. Isn't that just so amazing? So um, that as we're, as we're, I guess you could say, being selfish and taking care of our needs, we actually are creating more of ourselves to give to others. Yeah, and, and to me, it's. I think that that's one of the kind of not healthy things that our culture and our church says is that it is selfish because it isn't. Mm -hmm. You can't give from an empty well. Right. You can't. I think one of the things that I struggle with, and this is just my own belief, is, and a lot of times it does help to serve others, but when I don't have anything to give, mm -hmm. it, it's not going to help me to go and serve somebody else because I'm giving from an empty, dry well. Mm -hmm. So I have to replenish my well first. I have to do self-care. I have to do affirmations. I have to feed my spirit. I have to feed myself emotionally and mentally and spiritually and then I am even a better server to other people right. but you can't give from an empty well you can't give what you don't have exactly and so for me I don't believe it's selfish I don't believe self-care is selfish I don't there's a difference between putting yourself first to the detriment of other people mm -hmm. And realizing that you matter, mm -hmm. that you're in, as important as your neighbor, as your brother, as your sister, as your family member, as your friend, you're, you matter too. Yeah. And you, what if the only two relationships that mattered in life were your, was your relationship with God and your relationship with yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you've neglected that one, yeah, then yeah. I mean, isn't that the same thing as the the one talent? Like, mm -hmm. what right. if the one talent yeah. that Heavenly mm -hmm. Father gave, or that the Savior <clears throat> gave to that man, was to love himself, and he buried it? Right. You've lost that. Right. And so I just think for me, it's a quest. Uh -huh. It's it's this will be my lifelong mission of learning to love myself and teaching other people the importance of loving who they are. Because 
that's why there's so much depression. That's why there's so much anxiety is we carry this burden, this load of it's never enough. And we have to like hustle, hustle. We think we have to hustle for God's love and God's wanting us. God loves us. Mm -hmm. We don't have to hustle for it. He loves us simply because we exist. That's it. Mm -hmm. There's nothing we have to do. We don't have to get straight A's. We don't have to run a marathon. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to believe that we are lovable and enough because God thinks that of us. And that really is so powerful as you come to understand that. It, it seems counterintuitive, yeah. but it's not. It isn't. It's as we love ourselves, we can love others. Mm -hmm. And that's just such a true statement, but I, I think we just don't look at it. Yeah. <clears throat> until something makes us. And then it is that choice. Either I'm going to go down the rabbit hole and never pull myself back up, or I'm going to have to get out of this. I'm going to have to do something. Yeah. Because this isn't working. Yeah. Exactly. And the other is, I, but I don't want to think about myself. I don't want to go down there. Because I think we don't want to, we don't want to look at all the things that are back there. Because we might be afraid of what we're going to see. So let's just leave it back there. Yeah, but until it until it all explodes in your face right. and you don't have a choice. Yeah, it's there. Exactly. You better look at it. Yeah. So I agree. So April, um, I know that one of the things you had mentioned was it's it's difficult. You have four children. Yeah. One's just not here. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I think people who haven't experienced death of a family member feel like oh I don't I don't know what to say. I don't want to bring that up. Is it going to make you really sad? But you said something really important. You want to talk about your children. Sure. I want to talk about yeah. my children. Ask me about Sammy. Yeah. So tell us about Sammy. So I didn't know you were going to ask me. I know, but I just kept thinking about it, and I thought, he's your child. It, he is, and that's the thing. Like you said, <coughs> like especially as mothers, like we love to be like, let me tell you all the amazing things yes. about my kids. And I could sit here and tell you all of the amazing things about my kids because I don't know how I got so blessed with these remarkable souls in my life. I truly, I just, I just love them with every fiber of my being. And, uh, so much good about Sammy. One of the things that I loved the most is Sammy loved to help me cook. Okay. And uh, he loved to cook. He, in fact, when he was about six years old, my husband, uh, my husband is not as kitchen competent. <laughs> That's so kind. Yeah. And uh, and uh, so I would say to him because I was serving in young women's at the time, and I would say, and if my my second daughter, who, I mean, she's very good at cooking, and she's very talented, and <coughs> like, I knew I could ask her, uh -huh. like, hey, please help me out yeah. and stuff, and she would do it, but I could say that to my six-year-old and say, hey, your dad needs to eat before he leaves. Oh, Can you make him something? And he oh, would just, like, right. whip up, you know, some meal. Um, An up-and-coming chef. Oh, yeah. Like, he just, and he loved to Google, like, recipes, <coughs> one of his favorites. You know that berry mix at Costco. Uh -huh. So he would make uh -huh. this ice cream, and he didn't know how to like pare it down a little bit. Uh -huh. So it, there was always like wow. mass quantities of this <laughs> ice cream. 
but he loved Legos. He loved, he loved his brother. Oh. Mm -hmm. He loved his big sister, both of them. Uh -huh. Brianna was more of a mom to him, and so he would get uh -huh. annoyed with that because he'd be like, hey, stop They're telling me what to do. <laughs> um, he just, he loved, Sammy loved really deeply. He was fun, he was funny, mm -hmm. he was smart, um, but he was also a little boy. Okay. Like, yeah, he, he got mad. <clears throat> he, mm -hmm. he didn't like doing dishes. He, you know, he just, but he had good, he loved his friends and he loved, um, he loved to do anything that his brother was doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he idolized him. So that's so sad in so many ways yeah. and on so many levels, Yeah, that relationship. It, it really is. And, and after Sally passed, I remember Ethan one time saying to me, you know, my kids were supposed to have an Uncle Sam, mm -hmm. you know, and, Uncle and Sam, sweet. yeah, and like yeah. we were supposed to get rocking chairs and yeah, and, and yet they still do. Yeah, well, you know, it, and that's the thing is that Ethan has been able to have experiences with Samuel um, on the other side of the veil, and sweet. I haven't gotten that. Uh -huh. um, that's something I'm a little bit jealous about. Mm -hmm. But him and Brianna have been able to have those those feelings, yeah, those yeah. experiences with their brother uh -huh. that are very sacred and holy. Yeah. And um, but I loved Sammy because there's three years difference between him, him and Ethan. But him <coughs> and I, we were just pals. We yeah. played together. We played hard. We went to lunch hard, we laughed hard, we danced hard. Well, and when it's your youngest, and there's there's enough years that everybody else is in school. Yeah. Uh, my youngest is five years separated from the, the next uh -huh. oldest. And so it's, it's kind of like you're raising an only child, and you sort of kind of know what you're doing by then, and you get to have fun, and you're not quite so nervous, yeah. you know, and so you're a little bit more relaxed, and, and it is just fun. And yeah. so you have these very special, just you yeah. and I time. Yeah. So, I did. I loved to hang out with him. I think one of my most favorite <coughs> memories, I had the, a very strong impression to spend quality time. My patriarchal blessing says um, to take time with my children, prime time. Mm -hmm. And it says that verbiage very strongly. And so I was like, okay, I'm not really sure. Anyway, it's probably about four or five months before Sammy passed, I had the distinct impression, you need to start reading to your kids. Mm -hmm. And so I would invite, you know, my girls and, and my boys and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it usually just ended with the boys and I reading in bed. Mm -hmm. And I had, that's probably one of my most favorite memories is just having that time. a boy on each side and reading Percy Jackson. Uh, and, uh -huh. um, just that just quality, a tender yeah, mercy, like, right? Yeah, having that dirty <coughs> boy smell mm -hmm. and just, you know, yes, having... they do smell like wet dogs, yes. don't they? <laughs> and, and that's just my favorite. And, yeah. and so I think that that's just my, 
I just love sweet being yeah I love to be around my kids uh-huh. I love to be in their presence I love even just watching them from afar um, and that's something I miss is yeah. is I just the miss being right there yeah right yeah the other those other memories yeah. you don't get to have yet. Yeah. And I think that that's the hard thing is sitting in the what ifs and if onlys. Mm-hmm. And those are super destructive. Yeah. Um, and yet that's part of grief. That, yeah. That's part of the grieving process. Uh, to acknowledge that, oh, if only. Yeah. Yeah, what if. And, but you've got to be able to pull yourself out of it too. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, you know, as we as we end here, April, to me, this is just so incredibly beneficial, so so helpful, and um, just the same feelings that I had in January listening to you that I shared with my family. Um, those same those same feelings again, and the importance of this. And I don't think I ever quite understood self help and self care, but it is it's really vital yeah. for a healthy person to be able to have healthy relationships. Um, so as we finish, give us your takeaway. What's the most important thing you want us to learn and remember and do? The most important thing, if I could be like Alma and have the wish at my heart, uh-huh. it would be to love who you are. It would be to be kind to yourself. It would be to love all of your parts, both your shadow and your light. Mm -hmm. It would be to just give yourself grace. Give yourself compassion. Because this earth life is hard. Mm -hmm. The last thing we need is to bully ourselves to have it all figured out. It's, that's not okay. Satan does it to en- us enough. We don't need to join him. Mm-hmm. What we need is to love who we are in whatever space, in whatever place we're at, to love that girl or boy, that man or woman, just to love ourselves be willing to work at it my, my counselor uses the phrase to have a mad love affair with yourself yeah. and <clears throat> yeah I didn't really know what that looked like and I when you're starting to date you write letters and you take them on dates and you go and get your favorite food and you go and date yourself uh-huh. You do nice things, yeah. so do nice things to you. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Make, make sure that you're doing the things that feed you. Draw, paint, watch your favorite shows, you know, things like that. Things that feed you and feed your spirit. That's what I would say. Well, those are good words of counsel. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Well, that was amazing, and I hope everyone enjoyed that and got a lot out of it and love yourself. And thank you for being with us and join us again. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. 
Stay tuned for more. We're the Stedmans. And stay steadfast.